It is good to be together. It's good to talk about the elephant in the room. Even when we're uncomfortable um, by it, even when it seems awkward, there's always an elephant in almost every room, right? And sometimes when we don't want to talk about it or just kind of look the other way, we want to sure kind of gloss over it and just move beyond, right? But we don't want to do that here. We want to spend time recognizing that the elephant exists and then sort of own the realities of it and then, of course, acknowledge that God is good and God provides and God does amazing things. And so that's why we're here today. So last week we talked about trust. Today we're going to talk about how um, the journey we sometimes find ourselves on um, isn't enough, and we need to find a new journey to be on. And the elephant, I hope, will help take us there. Now, you remember commercial television. Does that still exist? Commercial television? You probably saw a little bit of it last night. You might see a little bit of it today, too, right? Well, as parents with our kids when they were really young, uh, we were, you know, some of those uh, granola folks that didn't let our kids watch commercial television for a while. And then about age five or so, we let Sadie, our youngest, start watching commercial television. And um, it was fascinating to watch it take shape in her life, right? Because the very first time Sadie watched commercial television and she saw one of those commercials, I'm sure it was Saturday morning, when the commercial was over, the very first words out of her mouth were, I want that. I want that. I saw it. I want it. My life will not be full until I get it. She didn't say any of that, of course, but... That's what she meant, right? She meant, um, I, I, I'm not fulfilled until I have that thing, right? Until somehow that thing is in my possession, it will make my life so much better. That's what a five-year-old thought, right? It, it, it happens to all of us. We all succumb to this at some point. A part of marketing is not only to help us want something, but it's to help, actually help us feel discontent with our own circumstances. Somehow I really won't be fulfilled unless I have that thing. Somehow my life won't be all that it could be or should be unless I have that thing, right? So whether you go on Amazon or whether you go through Costco or whether you're in a grocery store or wherever you may be, uh, that's a part of what marketing does is help us to feel a bit of discontent. And when we get on that treadmill, uh, it often feels as though I can never get enough. It's not enough. I'm, I'm not there yet. I haven't achieved what I want to achieve. I haven't accumulated what I wanted to accumulate. I haven't accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. It's just never enough. And we all feel that way at some point about something, right? Uh, for each one of us, it's different, but we can all feel it. We can all sense it, and we, we feel as though we're on this uh, sense of not fully understanding. Hundreds of years ago, Ben Franklin, you remember Ben, said these words, contentment makes poor men rich, but discontentment makes rich men poor. And there's such truth in that, right? All of Ben's pithy wisdom just has so much sense to it, and it makes uh, so much uh, power to who we are that sometimes we find ourselves in discontent, and we don't know what to do. And that discontent begins to flavor and color everything we look at, taste, see, understand as well, right? And, and we get into a, a kind of a rat race and to me, it looks somewhat similar to when a hamster gets on a treadmill. You remember what that looks like? And you just feel like you can't quite get any further. You know you're moving. You know you're doing something. You know you're working. You know you're trying to get there, but it's just not enough, right? We need a new kind of perspective. We need a new sense of, golly, what, what could be better about this? How could I learn better, discover better, grow better, be better 
instead of this discontent that I feel all the time that somehow tells me that I can't quite get there, I can't quite achieve or accumulate or work into what I want, discontent. And uh, when it comes to money and wealth and, and all that it can do for us, we, we sometimes find ourselves in this horrible trap, right? And there are at least two ways to look at it in life. One is kind of the human perspective, and the human perspective uh, is very clear. In the human perspective of money, the more I have, the better off I am, right? Because, golly, that's the human perspective. I want to accumulate. I want to make this happen, right? The more I have, the better I am. And the gain in all of this is material wealth. If I can gain material wealth, then it'll, things will be all right. And if I could just get enough, right? Because the goal in that is to accumulate. That's the whole goal. And if I can accumulate enough, then my life will be better and, and life will be full and life will be fun if I can just accumulate. This is our human understanding. And our dependence, therefore, then comes on the provision. If I have this provision, it's going to work, and, and life will be good, and yet you know the feeling, right? I, I can't quite get enough. I can't quite reach my goal. I can't quite attain what I desire, and that's why this human perspective is not very helpful. In fact, in this human perspective, the concept of give, being generous, sometimes equals loss because, golly, I'm taking what I could be living on or could be buying things for or could be using in my own life, and, and I'm now losing it because I'm, I'm giving it to the church or I'm giving it to God or I'm giving it to a nonprofit, and giving seems like a loss, right? And the response, therefore, is to, to hold on. I want to hold on to what I have because if I can just use it for my life, for my circumstances, for my situation, then all will be well, that, that this will all work out. But, but you know the treadmill, right? It's never enough. I can never have enough. I can never accumulate enough. I can never quite achieve what I, my mind tells me I need to achieve. I can't quite get there. I know I feel that sometimes. I can only assume you do as well. We need a new perspective. And thankfully, God offers some insight for us. There's wisdom that God offers. I want to look at 1 Timothy, the letter in the sixth chapter. And there is some amazing wisdom here about a God perspective on wealth and how it can be used. It starts like this in verse 6. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And as for you, man of God, shun all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Isn't that fascinating? It's like a, a whole other perspective. It's not about gaining and accumulating. It's not about grasping hold. It's not about um, material wealth. The more I can get, the better off I'll be. It's a, it's a wholly other perspective. 
And it's funny, it's kind of like a sandwich. It starts off with the goodness that we're looking for, godliness filled with contemplation, right? And this contentment that God's calling us to. And godliness is a funny concept because we might use that word. We may have heard that word, but golly, what what does godliness mean? Well, really all godliness means is that I follow after God's heart, that I move my life into God's will and God's ways, right? That's godliness. And we're all far from it, but it's our goal, right? I mean, it's, a, it's the challenge we call ourselves to, that, that I want to be more God-like, that I want to do God's work in the world, that I want to love people the way God loves people, that I want to be gracious and merciful and kind as God is. That's godliness. But the author combines that godliness with contentment, and contentment is something that we we often lose, isn't it? Because we're on that hamster wheel and we're trying to strive after something that never can get us where we want to be, but we, we keep going. Just this morning, a friend of mine posted on uh, Facebook and he, he's in Terlingua, uh, Texas, right? And I don't know if that's the, where the chili thing is going on right now or not. I don't know. But he said it's so much easier to get up here than it is back in the real world. And I wrote back and I just said, you know, I think that's about contentment. I think you've pulled yourself out of the rat race and you'd find contentment because you're in communion with God. You're in connection with God. Ultimately, it's really, it's really about relationship, right? It's really about how I follow God and desire God with my heart. And when I can and when I do, it changes my mind. It changes my heart. It changes my perspective. It changes my understanding of my place in the world, Right? Contentment is a fascinating thing. And then he goes on to talk about here in uh, 1 Timothy about, golly, there are, there are some who've kind of lost their way, some who, who strive after that it's not enough, right? It'll never be enough kind of wheel. And they lose their heart. They lose their will. I don't know about you, but I've been there before. I've recognized that when I was striving after something that either wasn't achievable or, or really wasn't the end goal that God has desire for, that, man, it wears me out. It, it makes me feel less than whole. It causes me to feel angst. But what God desires is this relationship, right? And then, of course, he goes into this whole concept of the love of money. Money is an inanimate object, y'all. I mean, money has no value except what we place on it, right? But it's that love of money that can be the root of evil, that can change our understanding of the world and put us on that wheel, right, and challenge us to feel as though somehow I, I, I can't quite get to where my desire is. And God says, my desire is for you and that our desire ought to be for God, And one among several ways to do that is to find this relationship of contentment both with money and with God. That's that desire. And that's the changed heart. That's what that last verse meant in verse 11 when it said, but as for you, man of God, shun this stuff. Pursue, right, righteousness and godliness and faith and all of those things that come from God and are of God right? And so the goal that he's trying to point out to us is, how do we reach this? How do we get to this end goal? And a part of it is leaving the mentality of it's never enough to finding a mentality that God is enough 
that God has what we yearn for. God desires our hearts. And when we find that, we discover that other perspective. I, I simply call it the God perspective. And in the God perspective, uh, everything looks different. In the God perspective, uh, the more I give, the better off I am. Give of my time and my energy, my efforts, and yes, even my dollars. The more I give generosity of my whole self, the better off I feel and the better off actually the world is, right? This is the God perspective. And in the God perspective, the gain is godliness with contentment, right? That's literally what he said, that when I find godliness, God's will and God's way, I actually discover contentment. And the goal, therefore, is detachment from wealth. Now, please hear me. Detachment from wealth doesn't mean I don't need or want money. It doesn't mean I can't use money. It just means that it doesn't attach itself to me and me to it, right? That it doesn't claim my heart. That's our end goal, that, that this thing called money that we have to use and that we need for food and clothing and shelter and, and the real needs of our lives, that we're not so attached to it that that becomes our end game, right? That's the goal. And then look what it does. Dependence is on the provider, not the provision. That's a powerful insight, right? It changes how I look at life and understand the world even. And in this situation, giving equals gain. When I give life away, when I give dollars away, when I give my talent and my, my time away, man, I gain lots. I gain a sense of uh, assurance. I gain a sense of goodwill with God. I gain a sense of camaraderie and relationship with others. I, I gain a bunch. And therefore, my response is to let go or to open up rather than to hold on, right? I, I don't know about you, but literally, this feels awkward and, and tight, right? But when I, when I let go, it changes me. I, I feel more open. I feel more loose. I feel more connected to you, to the world, to God. What a, what a gift that is. I want to encourage you to hear a great story from one of our families here, Sam and Brooke Bradley. They've been members for a good while, and, and they tell a powerful story of how they've discovered this God perspective over this human perspective. Listen as they share their story. I'm Sam Bradley. Hi, and I'm Brooke Bradley. We've been married 28 years. I've lived in Flower Mound for 10 years and been part of Treach since our kids have been in elementary school. And uh, oldest is a grad student at Texas A&M and youngest is a sophomore at Texas A&M. Well, I'd say, you know, ever since um, going to Treach, uh, tithing's very important to me. It's you know, my commitment to God, and I fully believe, believe in tithing and fully supporting the, the church and the ministries while honoring God. Um, again, it's a decision we've always made together, you know, just personally from our heart with God and with each other, and that's always led uh, for us to see um, blessings and also for us to be able to be appreciative of what God has given us. You know, your faith can be tested at times due to some circumstances outside of your control. If it's your 
job or other things. Um, we had one year some unforeseen outside um, circumstances that happened with a job cutback. And I remember I wrote a note to the church like, I don't know if we're gonna be able to, to honor our pledge this year. Um, but as no surprise, uh, God provided me with a new job and we were able uh, to fulfill and complete um, our pledge. Uh, and sometimes I say when you're in that moment, it feels like you'll never get out of it. And there's a, a quote from Henry Ford that when everything comes against you, planes take off against the wind, not with it. So I always like to think of that as well. You know, you, you try to lean into God's teachings to, to, you know, to give, to do unto others. Uh, Hebrews 13, 16 was, you know, give, do good, and in such things, God is pleased. So the, to us, that's, that's what giving is. It's being pleasing in God's eyes. pleasing in God's eyes, kind of the end game, right? That's our goal. I'd never heard that phrase before. Maybe some of you had about Henry Ford. Planes take off against the wind, not with the wind. A part of that reality is trusting in God causes us to um, sort of respond or react to things that we might not normally do, right? That's sort of against the wind because we want to do what our mind tells us, what our logic says, what we think will work, right? And so I want to just offer a couple of tidbits of wisdom that I hope might be helpful about moving from a human perspective on money and wealth to a God perspective like Timothy's trying to help us better understand. And the first is simple, and we talked about it last week, trust. Just trust God, right? And I say that not in jest and not simplistically, but this is our goal, right, that we trust who God is that we trust that God can provide, that we trust that God's with us, that we trust that somehow God's gonna let this work out. That's, a, that's exactly what Brooke and Sam described, right? Was this willingness to trust when she lost her job, this willingness to trust when things were not going as they had hoped, right? That's what the Proverbs writer said. That's what we talked about last week in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, right? Rely on God and God will kind of guide you as you need to go. Trust is the first desired goal. And then the second is, man, it's much easier, but sometimes we forget about it. And that is simply that we have an attitude of gratitude, right? That we recognize that everything we have is from God. That we realize that the job we have, the family we have, the home we live in, the community we exist in, the church to which we belong, the, the things that we have that we think we possess, they're actually from God and of God and for God. And therefore, man, we ought to just be grateful that we have access to them, that we have the ability to use them and, and have them as a, a great tool and resource. We are merely stewards of them, and we ought, to, we ought to just be really glad and grateful that God offers them to us. I love that powerful verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 that just says, be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Be thankful. And I bet you when you've done it, when you've been grateful, maybe you did a gratitude journal or maybe you just make it your intention that you give thanks to God either when you get up or when you go to bed or throughout your day. When we're grateful, it changes everything, doesn't it? 
It changes how we see things. It changes how we relate to people. It changes how we understand God in the world. Gratitude is the foundation, literally, of all generosity. The third thing that can be helpful for us to move from a it's not enough or it will never be enough to a yeah, God gives me enough and I really do have plenty is to simplify. Man, if you're my age or, or around, um, you begin to realize how much stuff you have, how much stuff is in your life, not just in your home, but our schedules and our uh, commitments and all of those things. We, we, we tend to make things way too complicated. And a part of what helps in this endeavor is to just simplify our lives. Jesus had a great uh, way to teach that. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, he, he says it this way in chapter 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a part of simplifying is ridding the clutter in our lives, whatever it is, schedules, time commitments, stuff, if we can purge ourselves of those things, then it helps tremendously. And a couple of ways to stop filling our lives with all that stuff is first stop comparing. Stop comparing ourselves to whoever. You know, we tend to say the Joneses, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. Stop comparing. You're not the Joneses. I know we've got a couple of Joneses in here, but you're not them, okay? Just realize your life is your life and your love is your love and God is working in your heart and your life. Stop comparing yourself to others because that's how the rat race begins. That's how that treadmill starts. Is oh, I'd, I'd love to have that because they've got it and I'd love to have that because I saw it here one time. And I let, right? Stop comparing. It challenges everything of who we are. In that same message in Matthew chapter six, uh, Jesus put it this way, no one can serve two masters. For you will either love one and hate the other, or you will despise one and, and you will uh, be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You can't do it. But when we compare, we try to do it over and over again, and that comparison makes us feel like we're never going to get enough. Let's stop comparing. The other is, let's distinguish between needs and wants, right? We all have needs and we clearly all have wants. And the biggest problem we run into is when we equate wants with needs, right? Needs are very different. And God has promised that God will help us with our needs. God says it more than once. But God never said, you know, golly, if you want that big mansion or if you want that wonderful car or if you want that grand vacation, God, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Those are all wants. And I love those things. I, I want those things. There's, there's nothing wrong with the wants. But when we, when we confuse wants with needs, it challenges our relationship with God, right? Jesus said in that same chapter, Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and God's ways, and all your other things, they will fall into place. This is the simplification. This is how we purge ourselves of this stuff, right? And then finally, a, a, a way to sort of simplify is to seek contentment rather than happiness. We, we strive after happiness way too often, y'all. And happiness is not bad. There's nothing wrong with happiness. It's just not contentment. 
You know what the difference is? Happiness is always contingent on something else. Contentment comes from that relationship with God. Contentment comes from within, and it's never dependent on other stuff. It changes the heart and the mind. The Apostle Paul would put it this way when he wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I was ever really in need, he said, but I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Wow. How cool would that be that we would find contentment with whatever we have? Ultimately, what we're striving for is to commit. Commit to God's will, to commit to God's ways, to commit to that godliness that Timothy talks about. Later in this same chapter, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, this is what he says. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may, be, they may take hold of the life that really is life. I bet that's what we're all striving for, right? This life that we, we think we want or that we're kind of striving after. Well, God's got it. God's always had it. And a part of our dilemma is we've been searching in other places and for other things, and that's why those things are never enough. We've got to have this perspective of God's desire and God's heart. I wonder, what would it take if we were to move from, golly, it's never enough, to, man, God provides abundantly. God is amazing, and I just am so grateful for all that God has, and how can I respond to that? I want to offer a couple of quick suggestions. One is to realize where we are in our giving, just pure and simple. Where are we in our generosity of, of dollars? This is the elephant, right? And in the life of the church, uh, we got to run the church, right? And so part of that is that we give to the church because we want to and we desire to, to, to be in this relationship with God. Well, we've developed a little chart that's just giving by households for this calendar year through the end of September. And the chart looks something like this. These are categories of giving, right? So on the left are those who give nothing, and on the far right are those who give the largest sums of money, and there are different breakdowns there. I'm just going to ask you to consider, golly, where am I in this chart? A am I somewhere in the middle? Am I on the far right? Am I on the far left? Where am I? So part of it's just a realization, right? That's all it is. And I highlight just a couple things. I'm grateful for everybody who gives, and I'm grateful for uh, wherever you are. But the challenge is this. Golly, am I in that green spire? That, those are folks who've given nothing nothing to God's house, nothing to God. And I just want to challenge you, could you give something? Could you step up just a bit? And then if you find yourself somewhere on the left or maybe even in the middle, is there a way for you to maybe move towards the right? Could that be possible? All of that's about discernment, right? All of that's about prayer. All of that's about this godly desire to be in relationship with God. And so the numbers themselves are not important. The issue is where am I in my relationship with God and how can I start that relationship if I'm not yet on it? 
And then I suggest two things, both of which I talked about last week. I want to invite you into a prayerful discernment. I want to invite you to use the prayer guide that's there for you in the digital bulletin. It's out in the foyer area outside, and it's on our website at tmumc.org pledge. The prayer guide is simply a five-day walk through a conversation with God that might help you discover where you would like to be and where God would desire you to be. I want to challenge you to do that because all of this is about relationship with God and helping us to better understand God in our own lives. And then finally, I want to invite you to the tithe challenge. The tithe challenge simply says for three months, I'm going to give 10% of my income to God. However you want to define that, however you understand that, and you can start tomorrow or you can start next year. But I want to challenge you, could I really trust God for three months, 90 days, with the tithe? And I am willing to guarantee you that it will create trust and that it will create a deeper relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but that's what I'm looking for, is a deeper relationship with God. Friends, this day and the next, I simply invite us to strive after God's will and God's ways, to desire God with all of our hearts, and to demonstrate that with a generous heart in all that we do. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity we have to trust you, to be grateful for you, and to commit to you in our hearts and in our wills. God, give us the courage to do that and help challenge us to step up into faithfulness to you so that we truly can find godliness with contentment in all of our ways. You, God, are enough. And for that, we give you grateful thanks. Now, this is our prayer, and we pray it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen. Hey, friends, for your gratefulness and the wonderful ways that you already give to the life of the church, I give you thanks. If you brought a gift with you, there are some brown boxes right outside the doors, or of course, you can scan the QR code right here on the screen or text the letters TMUMC to the number 45777. But whatever you give, we're grateful for all of that. Thank you.